Eagle Vision's production of Taken, the podcast, deals with mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Tina Fontaine was 15 when she went missing in Winnipeg in August 2014. Her body later found in the Red River, wrapped up in a duvet cover. Society, we'd be horrified if somebody put, uh, if we found uh, a litter of kittens or pups in the river in this condition. Raymond Joseph Cormier has been charged with second degree murder in the death of Tina Fontaine. I'm happy for them, you know, it's a sense of closure. In the end, the jury was not convinced Cormier was responsible. When the verdict was read out, it was very quiet. It was hard to hear it at first. And then there was an audible gasp through the room. Uh, It sounded like disbelief, sorrow, disgust from many people. When Raymond Cormier was charged in the death of Tina Fontaine, it felt like the case was solved. It wasn't. On February 22nd, 2018, Raymond Cormier was found not guilty of second-degree murder in Tina's death. Even in cases where the hope for justice is strong, the families of Canada's missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls have learned that justice can be a long way away. Cases like Tina Fontaine's galvanize the nation. The lives of the women and girls whose families have shared their stories live in the hearts and prayers of the nation. As we get to know these women and girls, we feel the loss of their lives that they could have lived. On August 18, 2010, we lost a daughter, a mother, and a friend who was a bright light for everyone who knew her, Amber Tuckerow. It was near Nisku, Alberta, just outside of Edmonton, on a rural property near Leduc County, that Amber's body was found. The cause of Amber's death has not been released. Amber Alyssa Tuckerow was 20 years old when she left her home in Fort McMurray to go to Edmonton with a friend and her 14-month-old son, Jacob. They stopped in Nisku on August 18, 2010, with plans to go to Edmonton the next day. Amber is from the Miccosukee Cree First Nation in Alberta. She and her baby boy lived with her mother at the time of her disappearance. Amber decided to hitchhike into Edmonton the night they arrived. She was never seen alive again. Amber's body was found by horseback riders on September 1st, 2012. At any time during this broadcast or afterward, if you have any information that might help solve the case of the murder of Amber Tuckerow, visit our website. Someone out there has answers. Our goal is to find them. Four days before Amber's remains were found, RCMP released a cell phone conversation that Amber had had with a man whose identity has not been released and may be unknown. Could this conversation have been Amber's last? Could the RCMP's decision to take Amber off the missing persons list prior to the discovery of her remains have compromised the case? What happened to Amber Tuckerow? Amber was the light of her whole family. She was adopted as a baby and surrounded by love. Amber's brother, Paul Tuckerow, remembers Amber being brought into the family. My mom 
she couldn't have kids after her fourth boy. We got a call, and then mom and dad drove to high level to go pick her up. Amber lived with her mother, Vivian Tuckerow, throughout her pregnancy, and up to the time she disappeared. Vivian saw firsthand what a good mom Amber was. She was really good. She would sing to Jacob all the time, um, play with him. Like, she really, really loved Jacob. And she was trying to get her own place. Living in Fort McMurray, it's not that easy to um, just go and get a place. So Amber did go and live at the uh, UNT house. And there they they help you, you know, try to uh, find a place, you know, give their uh, resources and stuff like that. And Amber did go and stay there, I think, maybe three times. And she'd call me, come pick me up, Mom. Right. So I go pick her up. And that's where she met the so-called friend that she went to Edmonton with. The day of Amber's disappearance, Vivian was sick. Amber's friend, who cannot be named because of the ongoing investigation, came to visit and invited Amber to fly from Fort McMurray to Edmonton. They would stay in Nisku, the town that surrounds the Edmonton International Airport, a town with less expensive hotels than Edmonton, where Amber and her friend planned to go the next day with Jacob. Amber was in the bedroom with, with Jacob. It was on my uh, my computer. Then all of a sudden she just yelled. She said, okay, Amber, your plane ticket's paid. And I was like, what? Amber's not going anywhere. Like, even though Amber was 20-year-old, like, I still like to try to tell her what to do, but she, still, she had her own mind anyways. It was kind of uh, surprising to me, you know? So I got up and I went to talk to Amber in the bedroom. She was packing her bag. And I told her, you're not going anywhere. You don't even know this woman well. I said, you don't know to go. Because I was always cautious of, you know, people and trying to look after Amber all the time. And she said, Mom, just, just for a couple of days, she said, I'm going to go with her. And then she said she was going to take Jacob. And I was like, why? Just leave him with me. But you're sick, Mom. She said, I'll just take him for a couple of days. And I tried to change her mind right till the time that they were leaving. Walk with them to the cab on downstairs. The more I think about it and, well, I've thought about it like all the time. It just seemed different, you know, and I, as a mom, I should have known like something was not right. And um, Amber said, I love you, mama, is what she called me. And she kissed me on my cheek and she said, I'll be back. I'll be back in two days. And it was the last time I seen Amber. Constable Ray Shelton of the RCMP's Project Care, which was formed in response to a number of human remains found in the Edmonton area and now investigates missing persons cases throughout Alberta, speaks to some of the facts of Amber's case in a video they produced to engage anyone who has answers. On August 17th, 2010, Amber flew from Fort McMurray to Edmonton with her female friend and Amber's 14-month-old son. After arriving at Edmonton International Airport, the three booked into a motel room here in Nisku and spent the night. In the early evening of August 18th, 2010, Amber left the hotel room to find a ride into the city of Edmonton. We know that between 7.30 and 8 o'clock p.m., Amber got into a vehicle with an unknown male. While in that vehicle, Amber received a phone call 
And through investigative means, we have obtained a recording of that phone call. That recording includes the voice of the unknown male driver of the vehicle. To date, that individual is unidentified. It is unclear why Amber decided to hitchhike into Edmonton. Amber's last phone call was recorded, and one minute of this recording was released in August 2002. The source of the audio is a conversation Amber had with one of her brothers who was being held in the Edmonton Remand Center at the time, where outgoing calls were recorded. The call lasts 17 minutes, but only one minute of the recording has been released. Audio that includes Amber's voice and the voice of the unknown driver who picked her up while she was hitchhiking. Amber was talking to her biological brother who was in the remand center. And now um, she was, um, I don't know, they were starting to connect as brother and sister, I guess, I don't know. I always told her, you know, like, pretend to be on your phone, even if you're not talking to anyone, just so cab driver whoever you're catching right with will know you're talking to someone and, you know, just just to be safe. And the last call she made, she was on her damn cell phone and didn't freaking help her, right? Amber was a vibrant young woman who had big dreams. Could a stranger have ended her life or perhaps a person who was known to her? Is it possible that the failures in the investigation into Amber's death have prevented the possibility of finding the truth? How was Amber's family coping when it seems that all hope for justice is lost? 20-year-old Amber Tuckerow was the mother of a 14-month-old son when she, her son, and a friend went from her home in Fort McMurray to Nisku, Alberta, on their way to Edmonton on August 18, 2010. Amber reportedly left her son with her friend with the intention of hitchhiking into Edmonton the night of the 18th. Amber went missing. Her remains were found on September 1st, 2012. The RCMP investigating Amber's case was invited to do an interview for Taken, but declined. The reasons were extensive, including the fact that the case is ongoing and the desire to show respect to the family. Just days before Amber's remains were discovered by horseback riders in a rural area in Ladue County near Nisku, RCMP released a recording of Amber's voice, the last known time Amber was heard alive. The recording has been available for several years, but it has not yet led to justice. The voices you are about to hear are Amber Tuckerose and the unknown man who was with her shortly before her murder. It may be difficult to listen to, if you suspect you know the male voice in this recording, or if you have information that might help solve the case of the murder of Amber Tuckero, visit our website. Where are we by? We're just down south of uh, Beaumont, or north of Beaumont. We're heading north of Beaumont. Yo, where are we going? No, this is a... Are you... Kidding me? You better not take. You better not take me anywhere. I don't want to go. I want to go into the city. Yo, we're not going in the city, are we? Oh, we're going. No, we're not. Yes. Then where are these roads going to? Fiftieth Street. Fiftieth Street. Are you sure? Absolutely. 
Yo, where are we going? 50th Street. 50th Street? East, right? East. Amber's voice haunts those who seek answers in her murder. Who could have targeted her? There have been many rumors, but Amber's family deserves closure. Her brother, Paul Tuckero, tries to remember the good times with Amber when she was younger, and he would take care of her. So there was one time her and a friend there, she, they took off, whatever, and then they took off running in a bush. And, that's, and that was a funny story because uh, I knew they see me, and I was coming with the vehicle, so I was like, you know what, they just took off in a bush, and, and I was running after them, and they were laughing, and then I was chasing them, then they were quiet. We were trying to listen for each other, and then all of a sudden, they popped up, and I always used to tell her, I said, Amber, I'm always going to find you, you know, and no matter where you go, I'm going to find you, and I'm going to bring you home. Paul remembers Amber being raised to be a tomboy by her big brothers. Amber's mom, Vivian Tuckero, remembers her love of music. Well, her music... Um was rap music at the time, which I used to call rap crap. <laughs> like she would play loud and, but Amber used to like singing and dancing. She wasn't the best, but she, she thought she was, right? And she'd always tell me, um, cause I'd laugh at her like, um, like turn that down, like I'm being too noisy or whatever. And that music was giving me a headache anyways. And she would, used to tell me, uh, one of these days, Mom, you're going to see me on a big sign. She said, I'm going to be a big star. And Amber was on a, on a big sign. Not, not as she thought it she would be, right? Tracy Bear is the assistant professor within the Faculty of Native Studies and the Department of Women's and Gender Studies at the University of Alberta. She is also the director for the Indigenous Women's Resilience Project. Tracy has a unique and powerful perspective when it comes to the vulnerabilities of Indigenous women and girls. I know a lot of the media has talked about the vulnerability of Indigenous women, and it's not so much that I have a problem with the word vulnerable. I think we have vulnerable populations, but one of the things I think that uh, differentiates Indigenous women and having the word vulnerable is that Indigenous women aren't vulnerable. What they are is targeted. If Indigenous women and girls are being targeted, what is being done to end this once and for all? Is the National Inquiry into Canada's missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls the start of change, or is it too flawed to spark any real results? What is Amber's family doing to try to heal and to honour her by seeking justice in her case? The remains of 20-year-old Amber Tuckero were discovered by horseback riders in a rural area of Ladue County near Nisku, Alberta, the location of Amber's last known whereabouts. Amber had traveled from her home in Fort McMurray with her 14-month-old son and a friend. She had left her son with the friend with the intention of hitchhiking into Edmonton on the night of August 18, 2010. A phone recording that is believed to be Amber's last conversation before her murder, with a male voice that belongs to a potential suspect, has yielded few leads. 
If you have any information that might help solve the case of the murder of Amber Tuckerow, visit our website. Amber's brother, Paul Tuckerow, cannot imagine why someone has not come forward with information that could lead to the identity of the man in the recording of Amber's last conversation. Somebody must recognize that voice, and somebody must know something, but they're not saying something. Why are they protecting this person if somebody knows something? It's just not right. You just can't just go take, take someone and take them for a ride and kill them and throw them away like a piece of garbage and continue on with your life just like it's okay and it's, it's not okay. Like even with our dealings with RCMP, like they, you know, we just didn't like the way they, the way they handle it. We didn't like the way they try to make my sister out to be when she wasn't even that. And because now it's in the media, it's like, well, okay, well, you know, we know my sister's not like that, but then, you know, it's in there. It's in there that, you know, she lived a high-risk lifestyle. Well, tell me, what's a high-risk lifestyle? Amber's mom, Vivian Tuckerow, has been raising Amber's son, Jacob, who is now 10 years old. Jacob was only 14 months at the time his mother went missing, but he remembers her. He misses her. Jacob's had a couple big losses in his life, and um, as he got a little bit older, like anytime I went somewhere or he see me coughing or whatever, and he's like, Mama, I don't go to heaven. He has a lot of contact with all his uncles and um, his cousins. So overall, he's like, he's, he's a happy boy. It's just not fair what happened to him, right? Tracy Bear has seen the impact on the families of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls through her work. When asked why she has chosen to dedicate her career to the work that she does, her answer is clear. I don't think there's another choice uh, for me personally. I was raised by very strong Indigenous women. So I guess in a way, as an Indigenous woman, I had that privilege. And along the way, I had some amazing mentors. So part of that, when you get those teachings from elders, is you give back. And there's an accountability that comes with that. Tracy is an organizer of Walking With Our Sisters, a commemorative installation that honors missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls in Canada and the United States. Walking with our sisters started in 2013 with an idea from Métis artist Christy Belcourt. And she had the idea to have a memorial in order to honor and respect the missing and murdered Indigenous women. I think if if I was to use the word reconciliation, it would begin with projects like that. Anishinaabe artist and advocate Ian Campo offers thoughts on how we can support the families of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. They need like whatever they need. Like we need to to just hear them out and and understand the situation that they're dealing with, right? And be empathetic to 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 the realities of what's going on. Like this 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 shouldn't just be this policy thing, right? Like this is this is a. This is human lives that we're talking about, and we need to really recognize that. And it's not just, you know, a, a catchphrase or a hashtag. Like, it's, it's, it's deeper than that. Across the nation, advocates like Tracy Bear and family members like Vivian and Paul Tuckerow are raising their voices to make a difference. The National Inquiry is part of the movement toward positive change, but it faced criticism. Paul Tuckerow's experience with the inquiry had its pros and cons. 
all these missing women, they're getting the attention, but I think they could have went about it a different way. It's better to to plan properly, I think, than it is to than to rush things and then think about, oh, we should have did this, we should have we should have did that. Sure, it's a learning process, but with something as important as this, because you're dealing with people's feelings and stuff like that. And some people, maybe they never open up before, and then all of a sudden they come in and give them for me. Nobody contact me to see if I was okay, you know, for aftercare and stuff like that. But I'm happy that we did come because whatever we said, now it, 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 it's a part of part of that process and it's documented. It's, it's a part of history, really. For Amber's family, part of creating change is using their voices to make sure that Amber is remembered. As heart-wrenching as it is to talk about Amber's story, her mother, Vivian, Keep sharing so that Amber will never be forgotten, especially by her son, Jacob. Vivian is constantly reminded of one of her happy memories of her daughter. We're on, in the living room and Amber's singing and dancing for me and on a coffee table. And she went a little too much on the edge, but she did cut her balance. I mean, but, and she just kept on singing. It's like nobody's business, like, you know, and Jacob was just clapping his hands, right? He's a tiny little baby there. But he, that's what Amber always did. She sang and she danced for Jacob. And she always sang, you are my sunshine to him. Still sing it to Jacob today. If you have any information that might help solve the case of the murder of Amber Tuckero, visit our website. This is the last episode of the Taken podcast. There are still thousands of stories of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, men and boys, two-spirited individuals. One of them is the story of Josephine Croshu. She was only 16 years old and 12 weeks pregnant when she died under suspicious circumstances that were quickly deemed by the police to be suicide, despite evidence to the contrary. Evidence was destroyed, so no further investigation could take place. Josephine's mother, Tanya Croshu, reached out to us to share her daughter's story, but we had already completed production on the Taken television series. After fighting for justice through the police and the courts and finding no resolution, Tanya went back to her traditional and spiritual ways. In her heart, Tanya feels that this is how her daughter received her justice. Tanya is writing a book about her experience with her daughter's death and her healing journey. She is an inspiration, as are the many family members who carry their lost loved ones' memories. We, all of us, can support the loved ones of the missing and murdered by attending vigils, leaving positive messages in response to media reports, standing up to negative media, and just listening. Whenever we can, listening. Thank you, and miigwech, for listening to the Taken podcast. Thank you to every loved one who has the courage to share stories of their missing and murdered grandmothers and grandfathers, mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, nieces, nephews, children, cousins and friends, and thank you to every advocate who is committed to these stories being shared.
For more information about the Taken series, resources, or to share information or tips you may have about any of these cases, visit our website at takentheseries.com or download the free Taken Knowledge Keeper app for iOS or Android. Taken, the podcast Amber Tucker wrote, was written by Jackie Black and Rebecca Gibson. It was produced by Hannah Johnson, Tyson Karen, Linda Nelson, Norm Lucier, and Martin Davis Kinnack. Executive produced by Kyle Irving and Rebecca Gibson, and hosted by executive producer Lisa Meaches. Taken, the podcast, was produced by Eagle Vision in 2020. For a full list of credits, visit our website. To watch full episodes of Taken, the television series, visit aptn.ca. Funding for Taken the Podcast provided by the Government of Canada through Women and Gender Equality Canada.